Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast, where we meet every Friday evening for worship at the Loma Linda University Church for young adults by young adults. We hope this encourages you and someone else you know. Enjoy. Good evening, everybody. My name is Philip Milosavlovich. I'm the young adult pastor here. I am so stoked to be on the stage with you. If this makes you anxious that there's a brand new AirPods Max right here, I will have accomplished the goal of what I was trying to do. <clears throat> if you didn't sign up, man, hope you're a little bit more anxious then, huh? No, Kelly signed everybody up, hopefully. But man, I am so glad to be here with all of you. Some of you are brand new students. Some of you are brand new from the area, the community. We are so glad that you're part of this ministry here tonight. We know that this might be just a one-time event for you. And for others, this might become a home. And that is my hope, that this place becomes a safe haven for your life, for your faith, for new friendships, and that you grow closer to Jesus and his people. I hope that you also find friendship. I hope that some of you find healing. I hope more than anything else that you find a deeper walk with Jesus, having been here at this place at the University Church. But more than anything, I also want to pray that tonight God would speak to you through his word. Bow your heads with me. Jesus, thank you so much for the goodness that you pour out on your people. Regardless of how we walked into this space, how we feel about ourselves, the insecurities we bring, the stressors, the frustrations, the just sheer joy that it's Friday. It isn't the week anymore. God, thank you so much for meeting your people wherever they're at. But Lord, more than anything else tonight, Jesus, we're praying for a word from you. We're praying that it would penetrate deep into our hearts, that the things that cause us so much stress would cease, that they would subside, and that they would no longer overwhelm, overcome, and take us under. God, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for the Sabbath. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. Friends, a few seasons ago in our Instagram stories, a question was posed, what makes you anxious and how do you get out of it? <clears throat> a few people responded with a few funny things I won't quote because they were just being funny. But a few people said some really serious things. A few others said some really deep things. But there were some that were just kind of, man, wow, everyone seems to kind of be focusing on this. And so I want to just read you some of these things that people talked about. A big thing that brings anxiety, not knowing God's will. School, I need a girlfriend. <laughs> Relationships, the future, new things, I need a car. They thought ways to help with that, praying about it, talking with friends, going on a drive, spending money I don't have, <laughs> knowing God has you. I love this one, kind of to top it off. The one person said, I'm really anxious about going to Vespers tonight for the first time. Any suggestions? Hey, I feel you. I get it. Some of you walked in here, you're a little bit anxious. You put on your nicest, you know, and you're like, wow, I might meet somebody. Yeah, I hope you meet Jesus. 
Come on, hallelujah. Let's go. But I also pray that tonight you would hear some other things. You know, one of the things that really gets us insecure and worried is definitely just not knowing what is to come. When we talk about knowing the future, man, have I got stories for you. Every time my wife and I, Elena, have thought we knew about what the future was going to hold for us, eh, wrong way. Shoot, Elena, I wasn't expecting that. I remember when it was match day. Some of you in medical school here. met? Okay, whoop, whoop, there we go. We got a couple, got a couple. Hey, bring your buddies, dude. Why are they? Okay, anyways, anyways. <laughs> match day comes around, and Elaine and I had been praying. We knew it was going to be Loma Linda. We just knew she was going to match here. Everything was working out as the youth pastor up there. It was going to be great. We opened the letter, the stinking letter. Why do they do that? Like, why do they put everybody in a room and give you a piece of paper, and then you cry in front of other people, whether tears of joy or sadness? Like, what the? These anyways, so we opened the letter. Sure enough, it was not what we signed up for. Arkansas. Shoot. Who lives in Arkansas? Talk about anxiety. Not because people from the South bring it out, but just we weren't prepared. That's not what we thought. That's not what we were anticipating. Turned out to be an amazing experience. God did so much through that. But the unknown of what would come was just overwhelming. Overwhelming. There comes a point, though, when things just go from worry to an unhealthy space. When a concern of worry turns into full-blown anxiety. We get now into a space of mental health. You know, it's interesting, the United Kingdom, they have one of the highest politicians there. They call the ministers. And one of their ministers, believe it or not, is a minister of loneliness. Not because that minister doesn't have any friends or isn't married, but because that's literally the title of that minister, the minister of loneliness. It's his, his or her sole job is literally to fight, this is what it's termed, to fight the psychological isolation so prevalent in society. Our physical health and our psychological health and spiritual health are all tightly woven together. You see, we were created by, the, by a God who is literally triune. He was created in a community. We are built for community. We're built for relationships. Isolation is not what we were made for. If any of you are in our kind of allied health community in the psychological fields, you know about attachment theory and how important it is for each one of us to feel like we're attached to someone. When we talk about babies not attaching to another human being, one of the worst studies, uh, literally criminal if it would ever be done today, they studied little babies who didn't get held. They literally didn't hold them to study them. Let them cry on their own. Literally would just hold them in very sparse moments. Several of those children died. Why? Because they are built for attachment. They were given food. They were given milk. They were changed their diapers. The basic needs were met, but they didn't have attachment. When we get in those spaces, 
the mind starts what's called a neural storm. You're just overwhelmed. You don't know what to do. If you've ever been in a storm, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Talk about Arkansas storms, my goodness. Uh, tornado Alley right there. I mean, we had some storms. Y'all know what I'm saying? I, can't, I couldn't do the really south thing. I tried anyways. Anyways, we get into a space where we, our minds become disordered, distressed, and depressed. When we find ourselves going through this season of just feeling so overwhelmed. And Mother Teresa wrote, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the greatest poverty. Now, it's a strange thing to think about this generation. When I say this generation, I mean the majority of you who are here. You're part of the Gen Z generation. I'm a millennial. Where are my millennials at, huh? There we go. We got some. We got some. Where are my Gen Zers at? You know who you are. Wow, that's so telling of that generation, you know what I'm saying? They're just subtle, a little bit more subtle. They're like, bro, we don't have to shout like you guys. Gen Zers are born between 1995 and 2012. This is a generation, some of you are like, dang, I was born before that one, okay. Yeah, you're not that. So Gen Z, they also, we have to ask ourselves about this generation and also millennials, all who fall into the group that we minister to here at this church, 18 to 35-year-olds in the young adult ministry. And this group, this group out of any group in history is struggling at pandemic levels with mental health. Why do I start off the very first sermon of the whole school year talking about this? Because this is what we are going through. This is what you're going to face. And why? Why is it? Why in the world? A generation that has more resources, more finances, more avenues to help than any other generation in history. And yet, why are they struggling so much? Let me give you some descriptors about the Gen Z generation. Some of you are going to feel like it describes you. Others are like, oh, not really. But this is just kind of coming from academic standpoint, describing the Gen Z generation, which I think will help us understand why there might be so much going on. Number one, there might be so much uh, mental angst because they are, number one, crisis marked. Crisis marked. What do I mean by that? They were born during a time of 9-11, literally some of their first glimpses of worry and deep-seated anxiety we're seeing two planes hit a tower, then hit another tower. Their parents thinking like, dude, the world's going to end. I don't know what's happening. A lot of animals are like, I told you. I told you. Finding obscure quotes from different places, Ellen White in the Bible, as you see. And now, while I don't discredit that those weren't signs of the end, that's the space that this generation kind of came up in immediately as children. And then, boom, a couple years later, one of the greatest financial meltdowns of the century besides the great depression of the 1920s and 30s dude it was this one that just happened their parents getting laid off parents losing retirement money i mean it was marked with crisis boom number two they are wi-fi enabled those of you in gen z generation you don't even know what it was like without wi-fi bro we didn't have that I didn't have a phone till I was 14. Those were like, boy, I had one until I was like six, dude. Somebody. I didn't even know that you could do anything. I had the flip phone. 
When we do this, people are like, what does this mean? I know this, but this? It's because you got to flip. Anyways. What that means for a Wi-Fi-enabled generation is that they are self-directed. Access to anything. I've got it right here. I don't actually need you. I don't need you to help me. I don't need anyone to mentor me. I've got all the mentors I need. Bro, I got Tony Robbins. I got this guy. I got this guy. I got everybody here that I need. I got all the information I need. But the problem is there's a lot of access without enough guidance as well. Shaped by others' opinions and potentially misinformation, the Wi-Fi-enabled generation also suffers with deep loneliness, so connected but not connected. Many raise themselves actually because their parents are two-parent income home. Their parents both have to work. This generation is also known as parents who are not helicopter parents. They are parents who, we've got stuff to do. You have everything you need. There's dinner in the fridge. Get going. We've got to do work. And they raised themselves and they guided themselves to figure things out. Number three, this generation is incredibly just naturally diverse. Racially, so diverse. Parents mixed races, so diverse. Opinions on the different cultures connected, so diverse. Globally, because being Wi-Fi connected, they just know the whole world. Number four, they are sexually fluid. This is a phenomenal, interesting thing. In the general population, you have individuals who are part of LGBTQ community at about between 3 to 5%, depending upon where you are in the generation. In this generation, it is between 1 out of 6 and in some places 2 out of 5. Now, it doesn't mean that all of them adhere to that community, but they're just more open sexually. Number five, a post-Christian generation. This is the very first generation that is marked by a post-Christian mindset. What that means is that now, for the first time in history, this is the largest generation of nuns. Not the ones in the Catholic hats, okay? But N-O-N-E-S, those who have no religious affiliation. It's the first time in our history that that group is the largest dominant group. Wow. Number six, they are in a decade of transitions. And this kind of includes millennials as well. This is a season of just transition. Moving, careers, education, friendships, marriage, sadly divorces, losing parents, health issues, debt, identity exploration, singleness, new opportunities. There's just so much transition. Lastly then, Mental poverty. Because there's so much increased social expectation, new responsibilities, life stressors, 40% in the Gen Z generation and millennials, kind of in this young adult years, they have met conditions for a psychiatric disorder. 40%. One out of two take a pill every morning to deal with that. Another one half have seen a therapist or a counselor in the last year, which isn't a bad thing. I'm just saying these are the stats. So if you see kind of the description of this generation, it begins to help you understand and realize why is there this mental health poverty among us? What's going on? It's, dude, we've been shaped by our surroundings at a profound level. Some of these things are not necessarily bad that I described. They're just simply descriptors of a generation that, And this is how it grew up. 
You see, the thing is, my prayer is that in this season, there is healing and recovery as you journey with us at this church. I absolutely want to just tell you from the outset that I believe in getting help, finding treatment from our medical practitioners around us. And I also believe in God's word and his people as being a healing support. You know, it's interesting how so many times people go into therapy and all they needed was someone that they could just kind of talk to. Someone to unload that they've been holding on to all these years potentially. I remember walking into a room as a chaplain when I got to do that. Derek, amazing career you got. Where's, where's, uh, where's Santi? I know he's a first-year chaplain. I remember, there you are, bro. I got you. I remember walking into a room there, invited to join a family who, unfortunately, the husband was passing away any moment, and they called the chaplain and the nurses, hey, please come over. This guy's about to go. We really could use the extra support. Absolutely, I'm coming. I get in the room, and I usually kind of go around. I don't know how you do it, Derek, but I go around, and I meet everybody, just kind of saying hi, introduce myself, and then I go kind of the person who's the lead in the family there, and I just say, hey, what's going on? Tell me about the person, and and all of a sudden, the, the wife just stopped, and she said, well, you know, unfortunately, there's one person that's not here tonight. Oh, who's that? His brother. His last dying wish was that he would not be here. I was like, when did that happen? About 30 years ago. They had a riff about kind of a, a business venture they were going through, and there were some issues, and... They just didn't see things eye to eye, and his brother felt like he was kind of misaligned, and the other one this way, and one thing led to another, and it was just, instead of talking to someone to get the help, to deal with the anger that he was feeling inside, the trauma that he felt that his brother inflicted on him, he said, I'm just going to build such a big wall that even at death, he won't be able to cross. I'm so glad that you've been listening to the first part of the sermon. This sort of production does require some financial cost. If you'd like to reach more young adults with this across the world, would you consider giving at praxisministry.org? You can select the Praxis Young Adult Envelope. Enjoy the rest of the sermon. But you see, I think that tonight there's also something clearly we've got to get to, and that is this. That God's word has something to share to us that I believe will bring healing and restoration to your soul. So I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 through 9. Just to capture a glimpse of, of what God might have for us in this season of just dealing with the burdens, the new challenges, the new opportunities that are in front of us that sometimes just deeply overwhelm us. So read this with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord's at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard from me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. This word anxious there that's used, it's an interesting word in the Greek, metamnao. If you kind of broke it down, some of you already are going to get anxious. Literally, it sounds like Mary now. Mary now, bro, I'm not ready. It's interesting. The night I was going to talk to my wife's parents, talk about an anxious night I had. I mean, I thought the darkest things. I heard the, I heard the worst things coming out of her dad's mouth and mom's mouth. I mean, it was awful, but guess what? It was on my head. I hadn't even dialed the phone number, but I started thinking all these things. Oh, it's going to be all. And I called. We talked for like three hours. I was super anxious first, and then it turned wonderful. But you see, I was experiencing a temporary neural storm, making up stuff in my head, what they're going to say that wasn't even true and all kinds of stuff. That was momentary. But you see, the thing is, we have to realize there's a difference between when you're concerned and when someone, something moves into worry, anxiety. According to psychology today, listen to the breakdown, okay? What is normal and what is not. What is normal? When something is a concern, it is temporary. Anxiety lingers. A concern promotes action. Anxiety is crippling. And con uh, concern is controllable. Anxiety is uncontrollable. A concern is realistic concerns. Anxiety are imagined and perceived concern anxieties. A concern is mild emotional distress. The other, severe emotional distress. One in your head. The other one is deeply felt in the body, in the mind. The one is handled very thoughtfully, and you can deal with your professional and personal life. The other interferes with your professional and personal life. One is tempered by faith. The other overwhelms faith with doubt. The other one is others-focused. Anxiety becomes just completely self-centered. What do we do? What was Paul trying to deal with us here? I want to break down some things in the text that I think are just so important. I want you to capture this. Paul tells us here, in the very beginning, if you look at the text again, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. What does that mean for us? Well, I want you to break this down in a very simple acronym that I got from Max Lucado. I loved his book, Anxious for Nothing. And he broke it down in four simple steps. Calm, C-A-L-M. The first reality is that we want to celebrate God's goodness. First thing, celebrate his goodness. When it says rejoice in the Lord always, there's joy in Jesus. Celebrate his goodness in your life. It's hard to get anxious when you start just throwing out praise. Man, I hate this school. All these vegetarians, there's no meat here. There's no Instead, you reverse that and you're like, man, I'm so glad there's food. Right? Even if it's not that edible. But then you break down the reality. It's like, wow, half the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. They're struggling for their food. Lord, thank you that I'm blessed enough to be here, to be able to eat. 
Thank you, God, for the, the community that I have here. Thank you for the blessing that I'm so close to, a community that values church and faith and values the kingdom and bigger ideals than just making money. God, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. You start celebrating how good God is and celebrating the blessing that he's provided for you. Celebrating God's goodness is the first way to begin. You don't meditate on the mess. You meditate on your master. I lift my eyes into the hills from where my help comes from, the psalmist says. You know, it's interesting. My dad, he goes around our house. They come over a couple times a week. We got three kids. It's not easy for a resident and a pastor, graduate students, all kinds of stuff to make it. It's like, oh, Lord, help us. And he sent my parents. Praise God. They come over three nights. They'll stay with us. But, man, it's so interesting. When my dad comes over, you know, because when you're trying to get into the house, if you happen to come past the dark hours, you're locked out. That guy closes every door. I'm trying to find a window that's even open. The guy closes every for him, safety is first. Whenever he's leaving the house, Philip, remember, safety first. Philip, safety, f safety first, Tata. Yes, yeah, safety first. Locking me out of my own house, this guy. <laughs> but you see, there's something when I realize, when my dad comes over, there's something that gives me a sense of security. Because I can meditate on the goodness that my father provides being in our home. I want you to remember this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. God is the controller of all things. When you're in a mess and you feel like you screwed it up or you feel like things have just fallen apart or you feel like people are against you, the school teacher, boss, parents, relation, the church, everybody, just remember God is in control. Find some way to find his goodness in the midst of it. Number two, see Celebrate God's goodness. Now, A, ask for God's help. Ask God for help. Let your request be made known to God. Paul brought that out very clearly. Hey, come before me with your prayers. When anxiety knocks on your door and wants to come in and you're just standing there, you're like, oh, shoot. You just turn. I got my papa in the house. My dad's at home. You want to talk to him? Because when he's here, I got help. How many of you need to invite God into the house of your life tonight? How many of you might need to invite him into those spaces that you're not proud of, you're just struggling to, over, that just seem to be overwhelming you? Ask God for help. I love how Proverbs 12, 25 says it, anxiety in a man's heart, in a woman's heart, weighs them down, but a good word makes them glad. We need God's help, but we also need God's people in our lives. Directors of Life Group, Alvin, where's Kelly? There's Kelly, you're blending in the darkness, can't see. Jess, where else? Who, where's Andrea? These four have created an incredible thing for you. They've created a space in which People of God are here to be in your life in meaningful, fun, adventurous ways and deepening your faith. And they are here to provide that hand of God in a practical way. Sign up for one of those. They are life-changing. It's amazing. 
So ask God for help, but also ask others for help. I can't help you if I don't know the pain you're struggling with. I remember the sad night I got a phone call from a parent when someone had taken their life. It was painful. I didn't know. I didn't know what they were going through. But I'm so glad I've also got phone calls from people, hey, listen, I don't think I'm going to make it. Pastor Phil, can I come over? Absolutely. I got the call. Someone reached out. Ask for help. Ask God for help. Ask others for help. Three, C-A-L. Calm. L, leave your concerns with God. Guard your hearts and minds with Jesus. It's no longer yours to carry when you give your prayer request to him. It's not yours anymore. I don't know how many of you are like me. You didn't grow up with a lot of money, and so when you go to a mechanic, you're like, bro, I need to check out what's going on here. I didn't go always to, you know, the Toyota dealer. I went to that one guy in the shady spot over there, you know, and, uh, he made things work, all right? You know what I'm saying? But I would kind of watch. I'm like, okay, using the real parts there? Is that real metal you're putting in? Okay. I'm watching. I'm watching. Why? Because I didn't trust. When you bring your burden before the Lord, you leave it with Him. It is His to deal with. It is no longer yours. You leave it. You're rich in Jesus. You can go to the Toyota dealer. You leave it there. You walk away. You go get the drinks they offer you there, the water, the snacks. Because you've recognized, Lord, when I am with you, I'm laying this down. I'm not picking it back up. Leave your requests with the Lord. Fourth, meditate on God's word, M. Meditate on good things. You know, Elena was going through neurosurgery in her first year of residency there in Arkansas. And she was struggling, man. She was struggling. I'll bring the band up in this last moment here. I'm sharing the last thoughts. And she didn't know what to do. She was overwhelmed. She'd come home crying. It was painful. I mean, she was working like 100 plus hours a week. I'm like, Jiminy, man. I'm so glad I picked my career. <laughs> but she was getting to a point, she was overwhelmed. She didn't know what to do. And she, for some reason, I don't know why, God put it in her heart. She just started meditating on good things at the end of her day. She just started saying, God, man, thank you so much for my husband. Thank you for my work that I have. Thank you, God, for this car. Thank you, God. Thank you that I was able to help this patient regardless of the outcome. God, thank you. I had a good conversation with my attending. God, thank you. God, thank you. God, thank you. Good things. Paul says whatever is commendable, whatever is bring peace, whatever is blessing, whatever is, whatever is, think on such things. To move out of those spaces, we've got to dwell on the spaces God has given us as blessing. We've got to start with trust now as a community. We've got to trust that what God has brought you through in the past, He will bring you through today, and He will bring you through into the future. And what God has brought you to, He's going to bring you through it. He will provide what you need. He's going to bless 
in this season of your life, you're starting out, you're dealing with anxiety, you're starting a new job, you're trying to take a step, I'm going to listen, I'm going to ask her out. I'm going to do something new, God. I, what he's brought you to, he's going to bring you through. And so I want you to believe he got you here. I want you to believe he has a plan for you here. I want you to believe he will support you in bad seasons. Believe he forgives your sins. Believe he is for you and not against you. Believe that he loves you. Believe he has the best in mind for you. Believe blessings will come. Believe that the darkness will fade. Believe God has you in this season. Be anxious for nothing. But the step you've got to take tonight is a step of trust. It's got to be a step of trust. I was going to do a trust fall with someone here. I don't want to have anyone start suing the church for, you know, getting hurt here. You didn't trust me. That's what I would say. But each one of us has to take a step here tonight. You've got to take a step of trust. Trust him in this season. Trust him right now. Practically, that trust, you know, it looks like a few things. It looks like exactly what I shared earlier. Celebrate God's goodness instead of finding things to complain about. It means asking God for help in others. It means leaving your concerns with him. It means meditating on good things. Cast your anxieties on him, friend. Thank you so much for listening to the Night Church Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. And if you have, maybe you can share this with a friend. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on social media at Praxis Ministry or come visit us in Loma Linda on a Friday evening. We'll see you in the next episode.